Welcome to the Longview Point Cast, the official podcast of Longview Point Baptist Church in Hernando, Mississippi, where we are committed to expanding God's kingdom across the street and around the world. We'd love for you to visit us at longviewpoint.org. Now let's join Pastor Wade as he continues his sermon series, Kingdom Advance, the Book of Acts. There's much trivial talk in our culture today. The things we watch, things we listen to, um, things we talk about are often very, very superficial and vain. And those things are trivial and vain because they do not deal with man's greatest issue. Our greatest issue is our soul condition. And it seems like our society talks about everything, everything, except the soul. Our need for God. We're going to see this morning that as Peter preaches a great sermon over 2,000 years ago, he gets to soul matters. He gets to what's most important. And he answers a very important question. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As we continue our study through this wonderful New Testament book, Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Acts 2, verse 37, the Bible says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers... What shall we do? Notice that question. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about, watch this, 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful, Lord, so grateful that we get to do this, that we get to gather and sing praises to your name and open our Bibles and dig into your word and have you speak into our lives. We are so grateful, Lord, for for this worship opportunity. We're so grateful for your presence in this place. And Lord, I just ask that you would transform our lives. 
that you would do a mighty, mighty work in our midst. Lord, give us the grace to take our eyes off of trivial things and to think deeply this morning about issues of the soul. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. Establish my steps in your word, and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit upon about 120 of His followers. And there are people in Jerusalem for that Feast of Pentecost, Jews from many nations. And as God poured out His Spirit, He accompanied the pouring of His Spirit with supernatural signs and wonders. There was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There were tongues of fire over each believer's head. And as the followers of Christ stood and began to proclaim the mighty works of God, people from different nations heard them in their own language. It was a miracle that these Galileans were able to communicate in different languages. And everyone gathered there heard about the mighty works of God in their heart language. It's a remarkable story. And people begin to ask the inevitable question, what's going on here? There's wind, there's fire, there's different languages. I mean, what is happening here? So in response to that question, Peter stands up and begins to preach. And the rest of chapter 2 is, is his sermon. And it's such a great sermon, it's taken us three weeks to walk through it. Two weeks ago, we looked at the introduction to his sermon where Peter basically says, Joel prophesied about this, this pouring out of the Spirit. What you're seeing here is a fulfillment of prophecy. And then last week, we looked at the main body of the sermon where Peter describes the work of Jesus Christ, all that Jesus Christ did to to accomplish salvation for you and for me. And he closed that portion of his sermon with verse 36. Look what he says in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so Peter goes right to the heart of the matter. This Jesus that I'm talking to you about, he's the one that God has made both Lord and Christ, or Messiah. He's the one that God sent to be our Savior. Well, in response to this sermon, the people ask a question. Okay, we heard you preach. We see the signs and wonders. What are we supposed to do? What shall we do? What should we do with this information? And that's an important question because it deals with the soul. The people see the need to go beyond the trivial and the superficial, and get to the heart of the matter. What shall we do with Jesus? And so what we see emerge here as Peter answers this question is we see six critical truths about, I'm sorry, five five critical truths about salvation. Five critical truths about salvation that just emerge from this text. Let me show you the first critical truth that we see. First of all, God initiates His saving work in our lives. God initiates His saving work in our lives. Verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now I want to show you from these verses 
that God initiated his work in the people's lives and they responded to what God was doing in their life. And I want you to understand that if you are here today and you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, it's because God first initiated his work in your life. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And you cannot come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior unless God comes to you first. You say, wait, I don't believe that. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus said, listen, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's pretty clear. You can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws you, unless the Father initiates his work in your life. So here's the question. How does God do that? How does God initiate that work in our lives? Well, there are two ways, and we see them here in the text. First of all, God convicts our hearts by the power of the Spirit. It says there in verse 37, when they heard this, when they heard Peter's message, they were cut to the heart. Now that phrase, cut to the heart, is interesting. It's the only time we find it in the New Testament. And it means to experience acute emotional distress. It means to be greatly troubled or deeply troubled. And when they heard this message, something was going on in their hearts. They were pierced or cut to the heart. Now, I believe what's happening here is God is convicting their hearts by the power of His Spirit. And here's why I believe that. Turn over to John chapter 16. I want to show you what Jesus said about the role of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 Verse 8, John 16, verse 8. Jesus says, And when He comes, speaking here of the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Jesus says one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit will be to convict us of our sin, to convict us of God's coming judgment, to convict us of our need to do something about our sinful condition. That is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. So I believe what's happening here is this. Peter is preaching this wonderful gospel message, and as the people hear it, the Holy Spirit is squeezing their heart, and they experience this deep emotional distress They are experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if you're in here this morning and you're a born-again believer, you probably remember that feeling. You probably remember that, that uncomfortable feeling in your heart, that unsettled feeling in your heart, that restless feeling in your heart. Perhaps you were in a worship service somewhere, And when it came time to respond, when it came time for the invitation, you were very, very uncomfortable. And you know what that uncomfortable feeling is all about? It's all about God's grace. That's God making you uncomfortable, showing you that something's wrong. Showing you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. God cares so much about you that he will squeeze your heart to show you your desperate condition apart from Christ. So one of the ways that God initiates his saving work in our lives is by convicting our hearts by the power of the Spirit. 
And this is something that I see all the time as a, as a preacher. And I don't want to sound too mystical, but I, I'm just telling you, when you've been doing this for a while, you can sometimes see conviction on someone's life. There have been times I've been preaching the truth of God's Word, and you can see somebody under deep conviction. It's, it's just apparent that God is, is just squeezing their heart and showing them that this message applies directly to them. And I've seen those folks at the end of the service come almost running down the aisle saying, I need to be saved. They're responding to God's conviction. I've seen other folks, and it's, it's just so apparent, God's all over them. God's squeezing their heart. They are being convicted by the Spirit, but when the service is over, they get up and walk out and say, maybe some other time. You can see that conviction. And so here in Acts, they hear the message and they are cut to the heart. I believe the Spirit is doing His convicting work. But there's another way that God initiates His saving work in our lives. God calls us to salvation through the gospel. Look what the Bible says there in verse 39. Speaking here of the blessings of salvation, Peter says, The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So Peter's clear. The blessings of salvation are for everyone that God calls to himself. So the question arises... Well, how does God call? Does He send me a text? Does He, does he call me? Does, is there a billboard? I mean, how does God call? I mean, if, if I need to respond to God's call to be saved, how does God call? Does He call me? Am I one of the called? It's a great question. Well, the answer to that question is this. God calls through the gospel. Look what it says over in 2 Thessalonians. Hold your place. But look in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. You're the first ones in this area that are saved. And now he's reaching through you to others. And he says, He chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to this He called you, watch this, through our gospel. So how does God call people to be saved? Through the proclamation of the good news. So here's the question. Wait, is God calling me? Have you heard the gospel? If you've heard the gospel, God is calling you to be saved. And if you've never heard the gospel, guess what? You're going to hear it today. And so God's going to be calling you today to be saved. Because God calls through the proclamation of the gospel. So am I called? Am I not called? If you've heard the gospel, God's calling you. He's drawing you to himself. He wants you to be saved. And so God initiates his saving work in our lives. He is a God of grace. I read a story about a man named Walter Wyatt in the mid-80s. He was flying a plane from Nassau, Bahamas to Miami. And during his flight, he had some trouble with his plane. He ended up crashing into the Atlantic Ocean. He was able to get out of the plane, but the plane sunk and he's there. 
in the middle of the Atlantic with a life preserver on. He'd gotten out a distress signal before he crashed, and so the Coast Guard had scrambled their planes and their uh, ships, and they were looking for him. But as he laid there in the water, floating on the vast Atlantic Ocean, he noticed coming towards him a dorsal fin. It was a bull shark. And, and the shark came right at him, brushed up against him. It circled back around, coming to him, and he kicked the shark, and it veered off. Then he saw another dorsal fin, and there were sharks all around him. Shortly thereafter, a Coast Guard plane flying over sees his orange life preserver and makes the call to a Coast Guard cutter about 12 minutes away. I found him. You need to get there quick. He's surrounded by sharks. And this man continues to, to push off and kick the sharks away. And, 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 and in a few moments, the, the ship arrives. And they pull up beside him and a, a, a rope ladder comes down the side. Don't you know he was glad to start climbing up that ladder? But that, that man, William White, floating in the Atlantic Ocean surrounded by sharks, is a picture of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. Before we meet Jesus... We are lost adrift in a sea of our sin. And there's destruction closing in all around us. And we're unable to do anything about our spiritual condition. But aren't you glad that when you are unable to save yourself, God came looking for you? Hey, hey, listen, before you ever look for God, God came looking for you first. God initiated His work in your life. And Peter reminds him of that here. He, he's called you. You're, you're being cut to the heart. That's God doing something in your life as you hear the gospel. Here's the second critical truth about salvation. God uses the proclamation and pleading of His people. Look what it says back in Acts 2. Acts 2. Verse 36, he closes down his sermon by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's the major point of his sermon. He, he here is, is proclaiming the gospel. Now here's what you need to understand. God is the only one that can save sinners. Have you figured out yet that you can't touch the human heart? Only God can do that. You can't change anybody. Only God can change someone's life. So God is the only one that can save sinners, but he uses means to reach the lost. He uses instruments to reach the lost. And we, as followers of Christ, are instruments in the hands of God that he uses to call lost sinners to himself. So wait, how does God use us in this Calling process. Well, first of all, God uses the proclamation of the gospel. Verses 14 through verse 36, Peter is preaching a very clear, concise, poignant message about the work of Christ. He lifts up who Jesus is, what Jesus Christ had done to provide salvation for sinners. So, so God uses the proclamation of the gospel. He wants us, listen, he wants us to share with others what Jesus Christ has done. And you may be here this morning and say, well, what exactly has he done? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
Jesus left the splendor and the glory of heaven and he came to this earth and took on human flesh and he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and when he was on the cross he took all of our sin on himself and on the cross he took the wrath of God that you and I as sinners deserve. He took our punishment for us. He shed his blood for our sins. And after he died on the cross, paying the penalty that you and I deserve to pay, he was taken off that cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and early on the third morning, early on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he died for our sins, because he rose from the grave, he can give us eternal life. He can save us. He can forgive us. He can transform us. That's good news, right? And God wants us to share that with folks. He wants us to tell people what Christ has done. He uses the proclamation of the gospel. But also God uses the testimony of believers. Look what it says in verse 40. With many other words. Now he already preached his sermon. But with many other words, he bore witness. He bore testimony. In other words, Peter here is talking about his personal experience with Jesus. It's as if Peter's saying, listen, I'm not just talking about theory. I'm just talking about some, this is not some theological lecture. I walked with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. I experienced the grace of Jesus. I saw Jesus alive from the dead, resurrected, and I spent over a month with him. This is not theory. He's, he's, he's sharing with the, the hearers his personal experience with Jesus. And can I tell you this? There is power when you share your personal experience with Jesus. People can argue with all, this, all these things that I'm saying this morning, but listen to me. They can't argue with a changed life. Right? They can't argue with a changed life. And when you share with them your story of how you met Christ and how Christ changed your life, it's powerful. God uses us to get people's attention. But third, God uses the pleading of sincere people. Look what it says in verse 40. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So he preached his sermon, he shares his testimony, and he just keeps on exhorting. Come to Christ. Don't get caught up in this sinful, crooked generation. You are headed for destruction. Come to Jesus. He's continuing to exhort them. It, it is as if Peter is pleading for their souls. You say, wait, is that biblical? Should we plead? Should we plead with people to be saved? Well, listen to what the Bible says about Paul in Acts chapter 18, verse 4. He's doing ministry in Corinth, and it says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. That word persuade in the original Greek language is the word pythos. It's where we get the word python from. It means to squeeze. So Paul is preaching the gospel, and he's, he's trying to squeeze them. He, he, is, he is calling on them to be saved. He's, he's pleading. He's persuading. He is passionate about their 
soul. And I want you to know that God uses the pleading of sincere people. Notice I use the word sincere. I'm not talking about manipulation. Churches do some squirrely things sometimes, trying to set the right mood or environment or whatever, and they think if they get everything just right, then that'll be what, that's the key to getting someone to come to Jesus. I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about, I'm talking about people that love Jesus and care about lost people's souls. And it's just evident in the way they appeal to people to be saved. And so God uses the proclamation and pleading of His people. But there's a third critical truth about salvation. We must repent and believe in order to be saved. They ask that question, what shall we do? Okay, we heard your message. What shall we do? How can we be saved? And Peter answers that question. We must repent and believe in order to be saved. They say, wait, how do you know you need to repent? Well, look what it says there in verse 37. They said, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. Repent. Repentance is turning away from something. It's what repentance is. The the word is metanoia. It, It literally means a change of mind. It means that you're going one direction and you realize that direction is the wrong direction. So you stop and you make a U-turn to go in the right direction. And Peter's saying here, if you want to be saved, you've got to understand that apart from Christ, you are headed down the wrong road. You are headed for destruction. you got to repent you got to realize the road you're on is not getting the job done. And you turn to go in a new direction. You see, we must turn away from our sins, our self-sufficiency, and our wrong views concerning Jesus to be saved. we got to realize that, that, that our sins destroy. We don't want to go that way anymore. We want to turn. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect when we follow Jesus, but it does mean that we want Jesus to change us. We don't want to go down the same old road. We want to follow Christ. That's what repentance is all about. Listen to me. Apart from Jesus, you are headed for destruction. That's where that road's leading. It's time to stop and turn and get on the right road. You see, repentance is turning away from something But faith is turning to someone. Now, you might read this passage and say, wait, he mentions repentance there. Repent, verse 38, but he doesn't mention faith. Well, look what it says down in verse 44. It describes the the 3,000 believers and their life in the early church. It says, all who believed were together. So, these, these 3,000 here are described as believers now. In other words, they exercise faith. Repentance is turning from something, the wrong road, your sin, your self-sufficiency, is turning from something. Faith is turning to someone. It's turning to Jesus Christ. It's placing your faith in the finished work of Christ. It's a realization that you can't save yourself. 
and your only hope is that Jesus died for your sins and Jesus rose from the grave and you believe that what he did over 2,000 years ago will save you if you will place your faith and trust in Christ alone. And when you have that kind of faith, it, it leads you to call on his name and say, Jesus, save me. So repentance and faith is how someone is saved. And repentance and faith are different sides of the same coin. That's why over in Acts 20.21 it says that Paul went from house to house preaching repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Different sides of the same coin. That's how a person is saved. Repentance and faith. To illustrate, just imagine that you are heading down a road and you come to a fork in the road. And you know there's a river somewhere up ahead, but you take the right fork and you're headed down that road. And you begin to see signs that say, warning. Stop. Go no further. And then a little ahead you see a sign that says, bridge is out. Well, if you have any smarts at all, you're going to stop the vehicle and turn around, right? Because you know that path leads to destruction. That stopping, turning around, that's repentance. And then going and getting on the right road, the road where the bridge is intact, the road that leads to safety, the road that leads to security, you get on that road, believing that's the road that leads you across the river. That's faith. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are headed for destruction. Stop. Turn to Jesus. He's the only way to be saved from your sin. The only way? Repentance and faith. But there's a fourth critical truth about salvation I want you to see. And it deals with baptism. Baptism is an important step with profound meaning. Baptism is an important step with profound meaning. And we need to deal with baptism because it's central in our text. Look what it says in verse 38. They asked, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be what? Baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then look what it says in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so they say, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now here's what you need to understand about baptism. This is so important. Baptism does not complete our salvation. There are some groups out there that believe that to be saved, you need to place your faith in Jesus. That's important. But you also need to be baptized to close the deal. That view is called baptismal regeneration. In other words, you're not truly born again until you've gone under the literal water of the baptistry and come back out of the water. And once you place your faith in Christ and go under the water, come out of the water, that's when you are born again. So they would teach that that baptism completes your salvation. It's the final step to be saved. And many who hold that view point to this verse, verse 38. Because look what it says. 
repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. They say, hey, slam dunk argument. Repent, be baptized if you want forgiveness. So you got to be baptized if you want to be saved. You got to be baptized if you want forgiveness of your sins. Was the argument that simple? Well, not quite. That word for there in the original Greek language is the word eis, E-I-S. And it's a word with many different translations. One way you translate the word ice is the word for. But there are other ways to translate the word ice. You can translate the word ice on account of, or on the basis of, or because of, or in light of. So it could read like this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in light of the forgiveness of your sins. You're saved by by repenting and placing your faith in Christ, and when you do that, you're forgiven. In light of that forgiveness, now you need to be baptized. It's the next step that you need to take. I believe that's what that, that word means. That's how it should be translated, on account of or because of. So wait, is that what you're basing your argument on? That one translation of that one little word? Well, no, there's, there's a lot more scripture we need to deal with. For example, if baptism is essential for salvation, it seems strange that Peter said nothing about baptism in his other sermons. Acts 3, 12 through 26. Acts 5, 29 through 32. Acts 10, 34 through 43. Never mentions baptism as a requirement for salvation. And if this is the key step that closes the deal, don't you think Peter would mention it again? He doesn't. And it gets even more interesting. Over in Acts 10, we see that people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit before they're even baptized. That's interesting, isn't it? They receive regeneration, the new birth, before they're even baptized. And so baptism is an important step of obedience with profound meaning, but it does not complete your salvation. You are saved by faith in Christ alone, not by doing something like being baptized. And so baptism does not complete our salvation, but but don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't hear me saying that baptism is not important. Baptism is critical. Baptism is a critical step of obedience for the follower of Christ. He tells them there, repent. Be imperative. Be baptized in light of your forgiveness. You need to do it. It's a very important step of obedience. Baptism pictures the gospel. And baptism pictures the effects of the gospel. Think about it like this. When you see someone baptized, they go under the water and come back out. Which is the biblical way to baptize someone. The word baptizo means to immerse. What the word means? To immerse or dip. And so when you see someone baptized, every time you see it, you're seeing a picture of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, right? Let's try it again. Jesus died for our sins, right? He was buried, right? He rose from the grave, right? And when someone is baptized, you are seeing that reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And... Every time someone's baptized, you are seeing a picture of what Christ has done to them on the inside. Their old self has been buried, Romans 6, and they've been raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism pictures the new man that Christ creates when we place our faith in him. 
So it's important. It pictures these, these wonderful things. And baptism marks our identification with Christ. Look what he says in verse 38. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, your baptism is a way for you to say to a watching world, I am a follower of Jesus. It's a way for you to to draw a line in the sand and say, I identify my life with Jesus. Now, I've seen some of you. You identify yourselves with your favorite athletic team, right? Polos. Flags on your vehicles, right? Somber. Do we want to talk about football? I don't know if we do. But we see you identifying. I I have team wear. I identify with my team. You identify with your team. It's a way for us saying, hey, this is the team I cheer for. Baptism is a way for you to identify with Jesus and say to a watching world, I am a follower of Christ. It's a, listen, it's a way for you to preach a sermon without ever saying a word. That's why it's so important. It's a big deal. So Peter says, repent to be baptized in light of your forgiveness. But fifth and last, we think about critical truths concerning salvation. God initiates his saving work in our lives God uses the proclamation and pleading of his people. We must repent and believe in order to be saved. Baptism is an important step with profound meaning. But fifth, the blessings of salvation are incredible. And I use the word incredible because I just couldn't think of another word. I mean, the blessings of salvation go beyond anything we can describe with the English language. But in this text, we see Peter mention two blessings of salvation. Number one, forgiveness. Look what he says in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, on account of or in light of the forgiveness of your sins. When you stop going the wrong direction and you turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You are saved by the grace of God. And when you are saved, one of the blessings of your salvation is you are forgiven of all your sins. Sins. Wow. Who of us in this room would not hang our head in shame if a video of our life was played up on the screen? What if everyone in here got to see all of our life? All of our sin, all of our failure, all of our iniquity, all of our immorality, all of our wrong attitudes, all of our wrong speech. What if a replay of our life was shown for everyone to watch? We would all hang our head in shame. We've all sinned against a holy God. We've all done things God's told us not to do. And we've all not done things God's told us to do. But guess what? There may not not be a replay of your life shown up here on the screen. Thank the Lord for that. But God sees it all. And that's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to, to die for those sins, to pay the penalty that you and I deserve, so that when we embrace Jesus Christ by faith, He washes away those sins. His blood cleanses us. He forgives us of all of our sins. Wow! 
and why someone would reject that. No thanks, I want to hold on to my sin. Why someone would reject that is just beyond my comprehension. When as a gift of His grace, God offers us complete forgiveness of all our mess. But it gets even better. We talk a lot about forgiveness in Baptist churches. We don't talk about the next thing so much. Not only do we receive forgiveness, but we also receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, on account of the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So he's saying, no matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is, if you will embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be forgiven, but you will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. At the moment of conversion, listen to me, at the moment of conversion, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, God Himself comes to live on the inside of you. We don't talk about that a lot in Baptist life, do we? Question, how can God come to live on the inside of you and there be no change? I'm telling you, if God comes to take up residence, something's going to, get, something's going to change. Right? And he says, I, I, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for everyone that follows Christ. So that means for me, when I was nine years old, I sitting there at the, my dining room table with my pastor. He walked me through the, the good news of Jesus and I called upon the name of the Lord there on that summer afternoon. At that moment of conversion, the moment I was born again, the Holy Spirit of God came to live on the inside of me. And guess what? He doesn't come and go. The Bible says He seals us until the day of redemption. For 29 years now, the Holy Spirit has been in my life as my comforter. And my God, and my empowerer, and my convictor, He's been there every step of the way. What a gift. When you embrace Christ, you get God to live on the inside of you. See, it's like this. The word sin means to miss the mark. That's what it means. God's perfect, He's holy, and we've all fallen short of His perfect standard, right? If we were shooting arrows at a target, every one of us have fallen short of the perfect bullseye. Every one of us. We've all missed the mark, right? All of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what sin means, to miss the mark. Salvation is when, when you embrace Christ and He forgives you for missing the mark. He forgives you of your sin, but then by His Spirit... He comes to you and places His hands over your hands. And He helps you to put that bow of life in your hand and draw back that arrow of impact. And He guides you in that process. and He allows you to start hitting the mark for His glory. By His power, by His strength, by His grace, for His glory, He helps you to start hitting the mark. 
He changes your life. Isn't that glorious? That's what it means to be saved. And so here's the point. Wait, if you had to boil down this sermon, and I know we talked about a lot of stuff, but if you had to boil down this sermon into one one walk-away sentence, what would it be? What's in your notes? When we respond to God's conviction and call by repentance and faith, we receive the blessings of salvation. It's just that simple. When we experience experience God's conviction and call, and we place our faith in Christ, repent of our sin, we experience the blessings of salvation. Notice in this text... That 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people. But you know what? We've got some really good news for you this morning. There's still room at the cross for you. 